One of the things that Brenda and I had the opportunity of doing was a opportunity of a lifetime. We went to Hawaii, and um, we cruised from Vancouver to uh, to the islands, and then from the islands we cruised to the different islands. And while we were on the ship, there were a number of people there, of course, but there were a lot of people there were celebrating special days of their lives, just sort of like what we were uh, recognizing just a little earlier today of people celebrating their anniversaries. And some were celebrating their anniversaries, some were uh, on their honeymoon, but anyway, it was a very special time. I say that to say this, that it reminded me of a story. <laughs> I heard about this uh, young man and this young woman were getting ready to get married, and they... Uh, were all nervous, as you can almost imagine, as any young couple would be. And they were having their little talks with their, the, the groom was talking with his dad, and, and of course the bride was talking with her mother. And it seemed like they had a real concern, and they didn't know exactly how to deal with that concern. And that one concern was, well, the, the boy was talking to her her, uh, his dad, and said, uh, Dad, he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, uh, I know in the morning I wake up, I'm going to be right next to my bride for the very first time. And he said, uh, uh, I've got stinking feet. <laughs> and he said, uh, I don't know what to do. He said, I'd be embarrassed to... Uh, expose my stinking feet to her there in the bed. He said, well, that's no problem. He said, son, just leave your socks on. And so you go to bed with your socks on. When you get off, get your socks off. And you go take a bath and you take your socks off. She'll never know the difference. He thought, well, that's a good idea. Well, the young lady had a similar situation and it was a problem that uh, she uh, had morning breath. And that uh, she was so concerned about getting up in the morning and waking face to face with her brand new husband, and said, uh, told her mom, says mom, said I don't know what to do. He said I've got such terrible morning breath that uh, this foul odor is going to offend him. She said, well, that's no problem. So what you do, you get up early in the morning before he gets out of bed, rush to the bathroom, brush your teeth. And just rinse out your mouth with mouthwash and everything will be just fine. Well, everything seemed like it was perfect. And that went on for a couple of days. And then one particular morning, the young man woke up and he realized that his socks had come off of his feet. So he's down underneath the, the, the sheets trying to find his socks. And as he's down there underneath the sheet finding her, his socks... She raises the uh, bed spread up and she says, what in the world are you doing? He said, oh my goodness, you ate my socks. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't know if you ever had that experience or not. I trust that you haven't. But that was one of the experiences of a young couple, I guess. Take your Bibles, would you please? Turn with me to the Gospel of John. 
I'm going to begin a series of messages for the next several weeks concerning the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been studying the miracles these past eight weeks, and and it has been intriguing to me. I have preached on some of these miracles before, but I don't know. God has given me some insights about some of these miracles that I had never really had seen before. And I want to share them with you. I remember um, back in 1980, I believe it was, one of the greatest events in the sports world took place. And it was the event where the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, and you may remember this, the United States was playing Russia for the goal for the, uh, for, uh, the hockey match. And, and Russia had, was undefeated. And how they were undefeated, they were like, it was David and Goliath coming and playing in that match. It seems as if the United States had no chance for winning whatsoever. But if you'll remember, Americans won. And the announcer, as, as they won the winning basket, the announcer says, can you believe it? It's a miracle. Do you believe in miracles? This is a miracle. And I thought to myself, when I heard that, I do believe in miracles. But miracles go far, far, far beyond the sports world, my friend. I mean, anybody knows that any time, any place, and a given moment, anybody can beat anybody. But there's something about when God takes his universe... And he begins to use it in such a way that it will bring an amazement to the eyes of mankind and he brings out what we call a miracle. One of the greatest miracles that has ever been given was found here in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and you're you're familiar with this miracle, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, why this miracle is so great? For several reasons. If I had three of the miracles that I could have been there and seen, this would have been one of the three. It would have been one of the top three in my list of wanting to be there when Jesus performed that miracle. But I don't know if you realize it or not. This is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. In other words, it was so great and so fabulous that every gospel writer thought and felt that I must record this miracle. It was so great. It was the only miracle that Jesus asked for advice. It was the only miracle that was witnessed by as many as the possibility of 20,000 people. When I went to Israel a couple years ago, We went up on that mountain where Jesus performed this miracle. And I tried to visualize as Jesus was speaking to all these people. And and it was like a just a proper way, a proper setting of, of an arena almost like that was caved out upon this mountain of where Jesus was speaking. It was like an amphitheater. 
That God in His universe, even before the foundations of the earth, God had planned this very special moment. And oh, how exciting it was when Jesus performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. With your Bibles open, I invite you to stand with me as we look at these first 14 verses of Scriptures. Listen to what John says about this. It says, After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. And he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now you think about that. There was about, they counted the men, they were about 5,000. But if you'd count their wives and their children, there could have been as many as 20,000 people sitting there. Now notice what he says. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Father, I am so grateful and thankful for you allowing us to be able to witness such a great event in the lives of these men and women. To have the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Creator, to take His creation and to use it in a manner to bring and to meet a need that these people had. Lord, we come with needs. And maybe our needs may be different than their needs, but You're the same God that is able to feed the belly is to be able to feed the soul. And so, Father, I thank You for today for reminding us of Your mighty power. Help us to never forget that. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Anoint us with your power. Use us for your glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
may be seated. I believe in miracles. In fact, I do not believe you can believe in God and not believe in miracles. But as you believe in God, God still works miracles in lives of people the same today as He did in the lives of people 2,000 years ago. No different. Just like these people had a particular need, you and I have needs. And many, many times God will work and use His universe in such a manner to bring about certain things in our life that bring about a miracle. And we look back and we stand back in amazement and we think, my, what a miracle that God has done. I'm sure every one of you can record miracles in your own life. If you've been born again, that is the greatest miracle of all, my friend. That God has taken you from the pits of hell and He's placed you on a solid rock and He has washed you and cleansed you and crowned you with His glory and He has brought you into a point where the Bible says you become a new creation and all things pass away and all things become new. You are a miracle, my friend. Don't underestimate the power of God. And so, my friend, all you got to do is just go back and reflect within your life. Pascal, the great philosopher, said something one time that was very interesting. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man and woman that only God can fill through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is so true. God has allowed us to experience a need. And in that need, He then begins to lead us and direct us and guides us into a way of where that need is being able to be fulfilled and be able to be met. Same way happened here in the lives of these dear people. Can you imagine that day? been a long day. Jesus had performed other miracles uh, throughout the week. But on this particular day, they were following him, hoping that they might be able to see him perform another miracle. Never believing, never thinking that God was going to do something supernatural even in their own life. And that that miracle was going to become personal in their own need. It was a hot day. It had been a long day. And now they're coming to a point and a time of where they become very hungry. Have you ever been hungry? Now, I'm not talking about being hungry, but I'm talking about hungry. <laughs> I mean, really hungry. Uh, my, my family knows, and especially my wife knows, don't let me get hungry. <laughs> Something about my sugar level goes. Something about uh, my irritability. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. I get kind of irritated at things, and I got to have my food. Well, I believe there were people there that day, and Jesus saw the need. And there's three things that I want you to see as we look at this passage of Scripture. First of all, go back. And look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Jesus presents them 
with a particular problem. And there he is saying, there is no problem too big for me to solve. And look what he says there in verse 5. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. Hungry. They're tired. They're thirsty. And it's time for supper. Because these people were common people. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? The only time Jesus ever asked the question of how and their, this miracle going to be taken place and asking advice. But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them have a little. Now, why did Jesus ask the question? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 6 to test Philip. But I think he was not only testing Philip, but I think he was testing all the disciples at that particular time. He wasn't really asking for advice. He was checking them out. He was going to see that as they analyzed the situation and they calculated of how this problem was going to be answered and dealt with, he was wondering if they were going to include him. Well, Philip flunked the test. He got his calculator out. He started figuring up there's 5,000 people, counting men and women and children, 20,000 people, uh, we don't even have enough money to buy the food. In other words, what he was saying, saying it would take a year's wages just enough to meet the bare needs of the people of that moment. And so he had calculated everything he thought. But he left the calculation, in his calculation, he left Jesus out of it. I wonder how many times we've done that. How many times we have been faced with a financial crisis. How many times we've been faced with a crisis in a marriage. How many times have we been faced with a crisis and we've calculated, we've gone to and fro asking for advice. And we've left Jesus out of the calculation. My friend, I want to remind you that there is no problem too big. I don't care what the problem may be. There is no problem too big for Jesus. I hear people say, there's no hope. My friend, there's always hope when it comes with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's always hope. Look, a little boy one time was out playing and he was trying to maneuver these big rocks and the father was standing at the doorside watching him and he was at this one big old boulder of a rock and he couldn't move it and the father asked the little boy and he said son he said have you used all your resources to be able to move that rock and he says yes you have yes i have the father says no you haven't The son says, what do you mean, Dad? He said, you hadn't asked me to help you. 
Have you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to help you? Oh, my friend, the Bible says, I am the Lord thy God. Is there anything too hard for me? Absolutely not. I am the Lord thy God. I am the God of miracles. You're in need of a miracle? Well, my friend, I want you to understand, Jesus is here today to meet that need, and He used this experience as an example to let you know that there's no problem too big for me to solve. But secondly, not only there is no problem too big for Jesus to solve, there is no person too small For Jesus to use. I find it interesting. Jesus loves to use people in meeting needs in the lives of other people. We think about the Christmas shoebox. Brother Tim brought that to our attention today. Of how Jesus uses you to help meet a need in somebody else's life. In Africa or in India or in China or in some... What is he doing? He's using you to provide and to meet a need and to perform a miracle. That had it not been for people who were willing to be used of God, those needs would be left undone. Here the Bible reminds us in verse 8 and 9. Listen to what the Bible says. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad... Here, who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But, what are they among so many? A little lad with a couple of pieces of fish, five pieces of bread. The quantity and quality was small. And yet, Jesus uses this little boy in a manner like no one has ever been used before. Oh, that encourages me. I don't know about you, but I want to be used of God. A lot of times, people who God has done a work in their life and and, and has placed a desire to serve Him, placed a desire to live for Him, placed a desire to be used of Him, sometimes think, well, who am I? I'm a nobody. I can't speak eloquently. I can't sing. I can't play the piano. I cannot play the organ. I can't do the... I can't, I can't, I can't. And yet that's where God takes pleasure. In using people in manner, in in such a manner that only He could use. I want you to see something that is very interesting here. Jesus gives us a a recipe here for a miracle. And I want you to see this recipe. First of all, I want you to notice what happens. This little lad, this little boy, has these few pieces of fish and few pieces of bread. And he transfers it over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16. 
reminds me of a very interesting passage of Scripture. Listen to what it says in verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life but lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, he's given us insight how to be used of God. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 tells us this. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Did you realize that verse of scripture came to fulfillment in the life of this little lad? When he left home that morning, he never dreamed of the possibility that God was going to use him in such a manner that people would be talking about it 2,000 years later. Never imagine. Why, if you just saw him there in the crowd, he was a nobody. But yet that nobody became a somebody when he took what he had and was transferred. To the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that he gave what he had. So it was not only it was transferred, but then, then secondly, it was taken by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was first given, now it was taken. Look what the Bible says there in verse 11. Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish and as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. When you give something to the Lord Jesus Christ, he always takes it. You give your soul and he takes it. You give your sins to him and he takes it. You give him your hell and he takes it. So that, therefore, that he can transform it. And that's what he did in the life of this little boy. Didn't seem to be much. But it was a lot. And in fact, it was so much that it fed the 20,000. I think about Mary. That sweet perfume that she placed and anointed the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Didn't seem to be much. But that fragrance filled the room and it even fills our room today of the anointing that was placed upon the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, number one, the recipe of a miracle. It was a miracle that was transferred it was taken by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 12 and 13, it was transformed. The Bible says in verse 12, So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Do you see what I'm talking about? Literally transformed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Listen to these. Not many mighty, not many noble, nor called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. 
Here, God took great delight in taking something that seemed to be rather small and transforming it to begin to bring about a miracle in the lives of these people. Oh, my friend, that's exactly what God wants to do to your marriage. He wants to transform it. That's exactly what God wants to do with your finances. That's exactly what God wants to do with your life. It's exactly what God wants to do with the troubles that you have here today. Transfer it. And He'll take it. And when He takes it, He transforms it into a miracle. And my friend, I want you to understand that recipe today works just as much as it did 2,000 years ago. But thirdly, there's no problem that is too big that Jesus cannot solve. There is no person that is too small that Jesus cannot use. And thirdly, there is no hunger too deep for Jesus to satisfy. Look what the Bible says in verse 25 again. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, they were miracle mongers. They will follow him because of his miracles. And yet, in the midst of it, Jesus used it to meet some needs. Look what he says in verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because the God the Father has set his seal on him. Miracle was significant not because he fed them physically, but because he used that to remind them what I can do physically, I can also do spiritually. Don't focus so much upon the bread and the fish. Focus upon the power of the transformance of what God had done through the, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice three things. First of all, Jesus is the spiritual bread. He is the spiritual bread. What physical bread will do for the body, Jesus will do for the soul, even more so. You cannot live by bread alone, but you must have bread. It meets a physical need. We have needs. And it meets that need. And when that need goes unmet, we find ourselves in wanting. There's a lot of people coming into our churches today. A lot of people that we meet every day. There's a lot of people we come in contact with every day. They have needs. Needs that's beyond their comprehension. 
And so Jesus is saying, just as I have met the needs physically in the lives of these people, I can meet your need in your life. I am the spiritual bread. More than the fish, more than the bread that they needed, they needed salvation. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach them. What I can do to you, do for you physically, I can do it even greater spiritually. Sir, you're here today. Your soul is hungry. You're here today. And you're in need. And there is a vacuum. There is a desire. But you don't know exactly where to find and meet that need. Well, I'm here to tell you, my friend, Jesus is here today. And just as he fed the 5,000, he wants to feed you today. And he wants to feed you spiritually. Jesus is not only the spiritual bread, but notice also in verse 30, Jesus is the supernatural bread. Look what he says in verse 30. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then? that you may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Look what he says in verse 31. Our father ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Some people, some people here today are saying, you know, What does the manna have to do with it? Why didn't God just send manna? Manna, of course, was the bread that came down out of heaven that fed our Hebrew friends as they were in the desert. It fell like snowflakes. Jesus was using that manna as a typology in his sermon. He was using an illustration of what this piece of bread is. It's like the manna that came and met the needs of those people for 40 years. But have you ever stopped to think about the typology of the manna? How that was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Think about it for a moment. Manna. It came down out of heaven. Where did Jesus come from? Came from heaven. And the Bible tells us that it, it lay on the ground. Jesus said, I am meek and low. Manna was white. Picture of his purity. Manna was round. Picture of eternity. Manna tastes like honey. In other words, it spoke of his sweetness. Manna had a flavor of oil. Spoke of the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that manna did, it gave them life. It sustained them in the midst of their wanderings. Our life is like those wanderings in the desert. And God has sent manna. In the beginning, God created this world. And he created 
the Word of God to come into this world. He created life by giving us the bread of life, by sustaining us. But Jesus is not only that supernatural bread, and Jesus is not only that spiritual bread, but Jesus is that satisfying bread. Oh, He satisfies us all. There's something to how He quenches that, that, that hunger, that thirst that we have. Look what the Bible says in verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never, underline that, never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. I have never, never, never met a person who have really tasted the bread of life, ever regretted it. Something about tasting the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. John chapter 6 speaks about, he says, I am... The bread of life there in verse 35. Matthew chapter 6. In verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. I find it interesting. That as Jesus is speaking. And giving us that model of prayer. He says, this day. Our daily bread. Speaks of day twice. So it reminds me on a daily fashion, I must nurture off of the bread of life. How do I do that? I've tasted him. I have allowed him to come into my life. He has come and he has sustained life. But now day after day after day after day, I'm able to gain nourishment. I'm able to gain strength. I'm able to grow. I'm able to mature. And I'm able to develop into God's child. That one day that I will be the spitting image in the spitting image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will look just like him. I may not look like him altogether today, but I'm working on it. And how does that happen? Eating from the bread of life. I'm taking on those nourishments. I'm taking on that sustains me and develops me. In a book called Into Thin Air, there's an interesting story, a tragedy of a story. There was a young man by the name of Andy Harris. Andy Harris was on an expedition of climbing Mount Everest in 1996. And he had gotten to a point of where He had no oxygen. And his brain was racing to the need of 
in need of oxygen. So he began to make his way back down from that mountain, and he came to one of those camps of where other climbers had been. Notice that there were canisters there, of supposedly have been of oxygen. He radioed down to the bottom of the camp. And he began to tell them that I'm in need of oxygen. And they said, there is oxygen there in that canister. Because of the lack of oxygen that his brain desperately needed, he argued with them. And even though it was right there at his disposal, he died from lack of oxygen. It was available to him. It was there in his hands. What he needed. My friend, I am here to tell you today, you can go to and fro looking for bread. But you will never find bread of the Lord Jesus Christ until you come to Him. He's at your disposal. And you can argue with me all day long that something else can satisfy my needs. Alcohol. Adultery. Gambling. This and that. But you always will come up empty. And one day you're going to die. And right at your disposal all along was the bread of life. Why not today reach out and accept that bread? I'm sure that when those baskets were being delivered among those people, Jesus did not have to argue with them to take a piece of bread. But it met their needs. It met their needs to such a fashion that the Bible says they had 12 baskets left over. Mm. One for every disciple to take home with them. You think that little lad went away hungry? My friend, don't you understand? His life was satisfied for there for all eternity. How about you today? Will you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed and every eye shut. Lord Jesus, truly you are the bread of life. And how you satisfied the soul. How you able to meet the needs of our body, mind, and soul. Lord, I'm sure that I'm talking to someone here today. Their souls are hungry. And they're thirsty. And they're wondering, where am I going to quench that hunger? And where am I going to go 
And what am I going to find? Lord, you're here today just as you distributed the bread and distributed the fish. You're here to distribute yourself to the lives of people if they'd be willing to accept you. Oh, how you're able to meet the greatest desires of our life. Thank you for reminding us of that very fact today. In Jesus' name.